0: Um, so, as we, uh, as we jump back into our study in, in 1 Timothy, in chapter, uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 1 uh, of chapter 5, as we just continue on through, uh, it says, uh, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. And the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger sisters, um, or younger as sisters, with all purity and and so we're going to spend just a few minutes talking about these biblical relationships here because clearly they're important but they parlay or they expand expand into the rest of the chapter they actually create the pattern for the rest of the chapter so we're actually going to do something I don't know that I've done in a long time is we're going to talk about these verses. We're going to actually jump down in the chapter and then come back up in the chapter uh, later. Meaning, uh, you know, in the in the coming weeks or over, you know, specifically starting next week. So we're going to skip a passage, but I'm, I, I want to be very very clear that I'm not skipping it permanently. I'm skipping it temporarily, and uh, for to help with some context. But if you look at if you're looking at at your at your Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 1 and 2, we read. But then it notice it talks about honor widows that are widows indeed. Uh, continue down uh, in, in uh, the younger widows in verse 11. Um, continuing on down in verse 14, I will therefore that the younger women marry, uh, bear children, guide the house, give the an occasion to the adversary. Um, and then, you know, then you look at verse 17, let the elders that will well be counted worthy of double honor. So we're really going to skip this passage from 3 through 16 today. We will revisit it uh, at the very least next week and maybe over the next couple of weeks. But we're going to talk first about these relationships and how they work out. So, you know me, I've got to put up a, a little bit of a graphic here. So we've got elder men we need to treat as a father, elder women as a mother, younger men as brothers and younger women as sisters and so those are obviously your your blanks that you probably could figure out from the passage and the and the structure but <clears throat> these relationships are important and what's in, uh, also important is Timothy Timothy's age relationship with these okay so Paul is telling Timothy he's talking about a third party the third party of Elder women, elder men, younger women, younger men. Right. So he's talking to Timothy about them and his relationship with them. But we have to remember where Timothy sits in this um, in this uh, paradigm, right? And because this is one letter, First Timothy, because Paul didn't write little numbers. Uh, in front of every sentence that he wrote. He didn't divide up his letter in chapters. We don't even have to go that far back in the letter, just a few verses to chapter 4, verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth. So Timothy is a young man himself, right? And so that's what I put. Timothy actually would sit down, uh, you know, I don't know exactly the ages he's talking about, but Timothy is sitting down in this range of age. If that's making sense. He's not sitting up with these elder men and elder women. He's a younger man. So when Paul is instructing him about these relationships, they have some perspective from Timothy as a younger man. Probably younger than everyone in this room, to be transparent, right? Probably younger than, well, me, right? Mm-hmm. Um so I'm glad somebody laughed at that. So so he is he's trying to posture that there is a way to have relationships in and around. And so maybe so I'm just gonna put myself in Timothy's shoes and let's say for a moment that I'm twenty years old. There's gonna be people older than me and the Jewish and even just societal tendencies would be to respect someone who's older than you they have more experience at living I don't want to brag but today is breaks my consecutive days streak uh, of living I have not lived more days than I have today Like I put another tally mark on the wall I've made it to this many days Lord willing tomorrow if I don't blow myself up with fireworks I will continue that streak <laughs> The point is, the longer you go in life, the more perspective you have, the more experience you have. You see this in Native American cultures. You see this in Native cultures around the globe. People respect their elders. They've done it longer. Now it doesn't mean you defer that they're always right, but you respect them. Okay? And we're actually going to peel that layer back a little bit because there's going to be times when it's not necessarily, they're not necessarily right. but. What Paul tells Timothy to do is he has to respect them because he doesn't want them to. He doesn't want Timothy to rebuke this elder. Okay, so these are the relationships. Uh, Again, generally, Timothy is going to fit down with the younger women and younger men. Now, this uh, elders, this concept of elders is kind of interesting. Rebuke not an elder. He's clearly talking about the father, the male role. Verse 2, the elder women. That word is presbyteros. That Greek word is presbyteros. And it's actually an, a non-gender term. It's like the word in English, elder. <laughs> right? It just It's kind of a description. It, it's a comparison word. It's saying someone who's older than you are. Okay, like younger or smaller or bigger. Um, notice in John chapter eight and verse nine, and when they um, uh, and they which heard it. So this is a situation with the woman. Um, uh, taken in adultery, right? Uh, which we never hear the story about the guy, but the woman is being kind of brought in the midst, and she's being uh, judged. But and and Jesus obviously, you know, writes in the in the dirt and all that. And and when they heard it, uh, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, beginning at the presbyteros, the oldest, the elder even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So it's a description word. It's a, I believe that makes it an adjective, right? The elder person, or is that an, I don't know. Math and English, not necessarily my gig. So, but it can reference this unofficial group. Okay, so of older individuals. So if you're going to have a group of older individuals, you can say, like in Hebrews 11, verse two, for by it, the elders obtained a good report. The people in the past, he's not talking about a specific group of 15 elders. He's talking about just the elders, those that were older, those that have gone before. And notice that it's different from the the word that we just talked about. Again, just previously about this presbytery in chapter 4 and verse 14. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on the hands of the presbytery. Okay. That has now taken this word that is a description word and made it an official group. And that group had some level of authority that was in Timothy's life and they laid their hands on him and they didn't the gift didn't come through them they acknowledged what was already happening in Timothy's life and uh, and and prob- publicly proclaimed that in their roles as leaders in the ministry they were acknowledging the gift of God that was in Timothy and the mission that Timothy would uh, most likely undertake at that time we do that same kind of thing now when we ordain someone or we send someone out we have the pastors and even some other elders in the church in this church or other churches like-minded churches especially if there's a a relationship i i'm, I'm willing to bet that when we sent mike or uh reference that mike was going to go out that his brother dan was there I, I seem to remember that so it's not it's not like tied to the membership of this church there's not a uh, we have a group of elders here and and I would argue that it is an elders group, but it's not like like a spiritual resume or something you know it's not like that but there is a specific group that has a some level of authority and accountability uh within the local church, and that's that's different than this so the reason I'm pointing out you're like well that's a lot of words about a contrast well it's because Paul is not telling Timothy just i'm a double negative alert. He's not telling him to, to not rebuke an elder in the elder class. He's saying don't rebuke an elder. So it's kind of like anybody that's older than him, anybody that has more experience, anybody. Like even if that person is relatively new, uh, relatively new believer, he doesn't. Timothy doesn't have the right to rebuke this elder and we'll, and we'll talk about that in just a second because you say well how does Timothy pastor a church if he can't rebuke an elder well this is a very clear a very a very specific um, decrees, very specific response that he is giving or uh, uh, admonition that he's giving to Timothy. And I think it's really interesting that it just comes on the heels of Timothy, you're a young man. You were given a, a, a gift by prophecy or by, by by the word. You were acknowledged that by the presbytery, a group of elders, but don't rebuke an elder. Okay. That's not what passed to you. You didn't get that autonomy. You didn't get that authority. Now, this rebuke is a pretty strong word. And this is the only time this Greek word appears in the New Testament. Now, it literally means to verbally smite. And that's stronger than what we'll see later in in our study today and in our passage, because this is literally to, to, I mean, if you look at it, it's it's heavier than to disagree with or or even contention. It's more like railing on someone to speak re- reproachfully or or revile them. I don't know if you've ever been rebuked in this way. If you've ever had someone verbally smite you, but it's a very demeaning kind of act, right? They're trying to. Put authority over you. They're trying to by by minimizing you, by making you feel foolish or stupid or right. Like it's not it's not uh, no one that I have ever heard verbally smite someone say, well, the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. You know, like you know, you're a good person. You know, that's not the kind of the rebuke. That, like we're talking about people that have to put you down in order to be Like they're more important. That's literally what Paul is saying. Don't. Never worked at permission. No, no, yeah, (laughs) I have not. It is not allowed. Timothy is not allowed to verbally smite an elder. Okay. Now, the implication may be that he could verbally smite a peer or someone below. I be careful with logic like that in scripture. Just because something is prohibited doesn't necessarily mean that it is otherwise authorized, okay? It just means in this case you can't do it. And I would argue the sentence structure of these first two verses would imply that you can't do that, that you shouldn't do that. Okay? But look at the same the same uh a, a form of the word. So as you can see it's a it's a slightly different word tense and the fourth angel sounded in revelation 8 and the third part of the sun was smitten like the same concept of this verbal smiting is this judgment that god is actually pouring out on the uh, in the book of revelation like like that's the kind of similarity or context that we're talking so paul was being very clear very clear to timothy like Don't put your finger in the chest of an elder. Like you don't reproach or rebuke someone in that tone. That's not how it's done. And look back at chapter uh, five and verse verse one again. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. And then you're also supposed to entreat the younger men as brethren. And you're supposed to entreat the elder women as mothers. And you're supposed to entreat the younger as sisters with all purity. So you're not supposed to rebuke an elder, but entreat them what what's entreat i I don't know the last time I've used the word entreat, but entreat I looked this up in a uh, and I believe this was from the Websters eighteen twenty eight but um, but it's basically to call near to invoke uh, by like this concept of consolation to beseech, call for comfort, desire, or give exhortation to. If I ever and I think I've shared this before, if I ever have to call you out, like unless you're just downright being mean, we're going to have a conversation. We're not going to yell like that's not how it's done. I am going to entreat you. I am going to say you're doing yourself a disservice. You're doing your brother or sister in Christ a disservice. You're doing your family. Like that's how we're going to have the conversation. I'm going to entreat you again. It's not a word that that we use uh, today. But notice, notice the, these concepts, uh, similar concepts. Romans uh, 13, seven, render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. That's how you interact with folks, right? You respect their position. I've had, this may surprise you, but I had a disagreement with Sam. What? Uh, what? and we can I can render to him what is due to him and we can have a disagreement and we can work it out and if memory serves we kind of walked away from it like uh, what's the, the, the we didn't say this but kind of like uh, agreeing to disagree right you know kind of like and it wasn't a doctrinal matter it was just kind of a how a logistics of how we were going to do something but, but we, you can do that that is possible Certainly in Christ. I, I actually think it's, a, it's possible outside of Christ, but the dynamics get a little weird because, the, because of the, uh, the attack by Satan and the lack of the Holy Spirit. But I know in the church this can happen. We can, we can render tribute to whom tribute is due. And the fear is not like fear like I'm going to beat you up fear. right? It's like a respect fear. Look at uh, James chapter 3 and verse 7. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, right? Same word, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Like when you have a disagreement, you ought to like put that like, like this may be a hard conversation, but I want to first be pure and peaceable gentle easy like we may disagree and you may think that what i'm saying to you maybe is even unfair or or is not reasonable but we're going to be adults about this we're going to be uh, we're going to we're going to be reasonable about it even in first peter chapter 5 and verses 5 through 6. likewise ye younger submit yourselves unto the elder same concept Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Like it is amazing how much more you can get done in ministry and in relationships with humility. Like, I'm sorry if what I said hurt you. That was not my goal. I am trying to better the situation. And we're gonna to try to work through it. Like, come, let us reason together, saith the Lord, right? Like, let us reason. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. That's how, literally, when you enter into a frustration with someone else, when you enter into a hard conversation with someone else, Peace and grace goes so far. And what does the Lord do? He blesses that. So he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So he does this nice contrast. God's certainly mighty, despite being very, very humble, right? That he may exalt you in due time. Like, we'll figure that. Like, you'll be exalted. We'll we'll get all that stuff worked out. But right now, be humble. Be humble. And, and there are times when I've had to have some fairly difficult conversations with people. And I, I'm just telling you, humility always wins the day. And it's not a manipulative humility, it's a I genuinely want what's best for you. And we can disagree and we can walk away from this and we can hug and we can love each other and we can have different opinions or different perspectives. It's okay, like we're grown ups that's how grown-ups work so this brings us to our first discipleship decision will you respect the relationships around you remember even that last verse the younger as sisters with all purity one of the things that I'm, I'm I would say I'm pretty passionate about is or fairly passionate about is proper biblical relationships in the church and proper biblical relations relationships in the church are between technically every member of the church. And there is a, I'm, I have no person in mind, a 12-year-old girl in this church who is my sister in Christ, and I need to be able to function in this ministry and her function in this ministry, and I can approach that with all purity. Generally, that looks like me not interacting with her. Because my ministry, primarily y'all, my ministry in the, in the office and some of the things that I'm doing here, some of the other things, my, my altar work and some of the other ministries that I'm involved with generally will not have me interact with her. So I can respect her. I can pray for her. When I see someone, see her get saved or, 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 or baptized or graduate, I can, I can be joyful. But generally, I'm not interacting with her. Right? I mean... She's my sister. And if I know her family and I've just gotten done giving her mom or dad a hug, I might throw out a fist bump in the presence of mom and dad Like because I don't want her to feel weird. But I also don't. I want her to know she's my sister. That's good. Like, like, it doesn't have to be hard. It's just I'm going to entreat her humbly. I'm not going to lord over her. I'm not going to intimidate her through my actions. i and they're in a very specific, and I will not name the name because I don't want her to be embarrassed or, or, or anything to come out of this, but I learned a long time ago if in that situation, this happened maybe a month, ago, month or so ago, I gave mom, I gave dad a hug, the kids were leaving, I gave high fives, I was giving high fives to all of them, and the girl didn't want to do it, and I'm like, have a good night. Didn't push her on it, I didn't say, oh, come on, give me a high five. I didn't try to compel her that it was okay. I was just like, I'm good with your boundaries. I treat, entreated her as a sister with all purity. Like I don't, I didn't need that high five. Like, I, and honestly, and I wasn't hurt. I, I really wasn't like hurt in my core by by a long shot. But I was disappointed that she wasn't comfortable enough to give me that high five. Like. It, it hurt me that, that she felt like she had to be reserved. And I don't think necessarily because it was me. I mean, I'm sure there are men in this church that she has, her families have much deeper relationships with, both time and experience, that she would feel very comfortable with that. But I'm good with it. Like, I don't, like, I don't want her, I would rather feel a little bit hurt, a little bit uh, saddened is probably the better term, a little saddened by the fact that she was uncomfortable with that but make her feel empowered in the relationship, make her sure she was comfortable. So will you respect the relationships around you? Some people don't want to engage you. Hey, that's okay. Walk away and pray for them. You know, it's all right. It's okay. And, and that, that will, not always, but almost always build res- mutual respect. And there are people in this church and in other churches that, and both male and female, for whatever reason, haven't been close to me, but I've earned their respect. I've earned, I don't even want to call it a relationship, mutual ground in that. And I always do it through humility. It's always through humility. It's the only way it's going to get done. So I told you that we were going to spend some time on this first and then jump down to the second. So in this second part, in the time we have left, in First Timothy uh, 5, 7 through 20, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear." And you might see why I wanted to spend some time coupling this with what Paul says to Timothy about rebuking not an elder, right, because, excuse me, jumping down here later in this passage, this is pretty serious. We're going to break this kind of in, you've got several sections, but kind of in half, the value of the minister, the value of the elder, and then this interaction regarding um, uh, regarding them. So it, it lost me here. So I apologize. Get, uh, get back to my notes. So I got I got too gabby. I was preaching there a little bit. So on, uh, So there's keys to ruling well, leading. Notice in leading, 1 Timothy 3, 5, we've already seen this. For if a man know know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So when we think of rule, we think of somebody with an iron fist, right? We almost always finish that statement. He'll rule with an iron fist. Like we just associate ruling with dictatorship, okay? But that's really not the ruling that he's talking about here. He's talking about the concept of leading, Right? Let the elders that rule well they lead. If he if he know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So ruling is a concept of caring. It's also consistent and discerning. In Luke twelve, forty two, and the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward? whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them the portion of the meat in due season. So literally consistent and discerning, it's giving a, a ruler. We we saw this in, in service. The, the husband's responsibility is to sacrifice for the wife. That's the concept of a biblical ruler is I will abase myself. And anytime I've been around some rulers in ministry and I do mean that Men that would say things like, This is this is my opinion, this is the way it's gonna be. If you don't like it, leave. But according to Sam, don't leave the door open too long when you leave. Just shut it on the way out. <laughs> like just we don't this flies in. Like But there have been men that I have been under who felt like they needed to rule over a ministry over a church, and that's unfortunate. Because there will come a day when Christ rules and reigns on on the throne, and I get it. It comes with a lot of judgment, and it comes a lot with a lot of accountability. But He rules over the church today, and He does so with love and again humility, with approachableness, or the leader that's approachable and dir- yet directing. And we bes- and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly, look, in love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. There's nothing about, like, there's literally nothing about this passage in 1 Thessalonians that's about, and try to get yours and make sure you've got your, like, there's no tone here of anything other than humility and giving and and peace. Like, that's how a good pastor leads. Watching in Hebrews 13, 7 uh, 17 and 24 remember them which have rule over you have a responsibility who have spoken unto you the word of God whose faith follow considering considering the end of their conversation obey them that have the rule over you and look at this and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls at that <laughs> look at this as they that must give account literally at the judgment this is this is a scary thing. This is, I would argue, the scariest thing for a pastor, certainly scariest thing for me when I think about ministry, is I literally will have to give an account of your actions and your growth at the judgment seat. Like, that's scary. That literally gets me up out of bed. That causes me pause and like, oh, I haven't talked to them in a minute. I need to text them or I need to pray for them or I need to reach out and get together with them. Like... Like, that's a scary thing for me. That they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable unto you. Salute them that have the rule over you and all saints. They of Italy salute you. So, so these, these are the ways that a good pastor, a good ministry leader rules. Keys to ruling well is, in fact, the exact opposite of what we think of when we think of ruling. Right? When we think of ruling, it's like, well, I said it, it is. You know, uh, something happened with the Zoom. So honor, this concept of double honor is very, very interesting. Um, in verse, uh, in verse um, where'd it go? 17. 17, thank you. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. It's interesting because a few years ago, I, I was exposed to a church whose pastor, so check this out, did a salary survey of the congregants to determine what people generally made as far as income, and then he demanded his salary be double that, and quoted this verse, that he, as the pastor, should be worthy of double honor. Double honor, it says it right there in scripture. Well, okay. But that means you're giving up all the spiritual honor. If you want double money, then you ain't getting any of the spiritual because it literally is a spiritual honor and a physical honor to rule well. Sam gets a salary, but he also will get blessings or benefit at the judgment seat of Christ for what goes on here. That's the double. Like he gets money to live. He gets a salary, but he doesn't get double salary. Because if he gets double salary, he's given up the ju- like spiritual. Look at this. For the, and this, this is, uh, again, the parallel passage. For it's written in, written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the o- mouth of the ox that treaded out the corn. Doth God care for the oxen, or saith he altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. This is written that he, he that ploweth should plow in hope. Sam should not have to stress. I mean, everybody stresses about some level of degree about money and bills and college and car repairs and stuff but he should be able to plow in hope not worried about the other and that he that thresheth in hope should be partakers of his hope if we have sown unto you spiritual things is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things spiritual blessing carnal blessing and i don't mean carnal in a bad way, I mean carnal in the sense that he gets a salary. He gets filthy mammon, goes into his bank account for his job here. Notice also in Deuteronomy 18, this actually is a pattern that continues from the Old Testament. (laughs) The priests and the Levites and all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They didn't get land in the promised land. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord. They don't need land to go out and grow crops or have pastures for their animals because they're going to eat off of the offerings. Not all of them, but they're going to eat off the offerings of the Lord made by fire and in his inheritance. Therefore, they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance. They get two things. A relationship with God, a very special, unique relationship with God, and they get food. Double honor. Same here. Spiritual and carnal, right? Sam gets a salary. The pastors that are on staff here at the church get a salary and they get spiritual blessing. And then this, it has this high accusation bar. We won't spend a lot of time here, but it, it does specifically say in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, uh, 19 rather, and against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Now this is a little different than Matthew 18 where you're charged to take a couple of witnesses with you when there's a disagreement between brethren okay this is somebody is saying that sam did something wrong i'm not even going to hear it until there's two or three witnesses about what what the cuz cuz one person can just be a backstabber one person can make some up but two or three witnesses it's literally the same as uh, as things that demanded stoning in the old testament at the mouth of two or three witnesses of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death like that's the level of seriousness we're talking it's the same as stealing an inheritance one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or any sin any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established so this is literally people bringing an accusation against a pastor that's a high bar that's a high bar because it's like a a matter of life and death and it's a matter of an inheritance. And then this last concept, and we'll wrap up. Rebuke before all. I was like, wait a second. I thought we weren't supposed to rebuke. Well, you're not supposed to verbally smite, okay, an elder, but... If they do come with witnesses if there really is something that's wrong with the ruler the pastor this is not I don't believe this is for everyone's sin if if, um, if if Jessica were I'm just we've sorry we made eye contact if Jessica were oh I'll make it easy if Jessica were to come to me and tell me Shane did something bad how about that also I'll throw it on Shane that Shane did something bad okay it's not and it's it's probably a. It's probably true. First of all, second of all, I don't need the. I don't feel the need to grab Shane by the ear, pull him up here, and make him confess his sin before you all. That's not what this passage is talking about. Although I've, again, been in ministries and been around people that feel like that's what this is saying. No, no. The context is these rulers. The context are the folks who have, who are are pastors, right? So if you meet the bar that there's two or three witnesses railing against the pastor against a sin then and it comes to fruition that is then going to be done in a way of convincing or convicting and i don't want to say that we're going to have like a a a courtroom in front of the church but that's the context that he's talking about like we're going to feel this out we're going to prove it out before everybody and if the person's in sin we're all going to know it because we got to figure this out as a group Okay, so Joshua, notice this. And Joshua said unto Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, glory to God, to the Lord, God of Israel, and make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And it was in the presence of people. First Samuel 3, uh, 3 17, and he said, what is the thing that the Lord has said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God, uh, God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me, all the things that he had said unto thee. Uh, include, so, so again that's not a matter of sin but that's a, a matter of openness God is God's. this is kind of an important concept with the Lord keeping these things open for thou diddest it secretly but this thing will I do before all Israel and before the son and he spake th- uh, that saying openly and Peter took him and began to rebuke him so literally Peter grabs Jesus when Jesus says he's going to die and Peter's like no way this is not going to happen I am not going to lie but what What's Jesus do? And when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, so Jesus notices that the disciples, the the public nature of this, he rebukes Peter saying, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. So he's good with this open rebuke concept. Open rebuke is better than secret love. So if... If an accusation really is to be believed of a pastor or a leader, it has to be before two or three witnesses. And then, if it's in fact validated, then we're going to know about it. We need to deal with it openly. Again, the otherwise, otherwise, literally, one time, the one time I spoke harshly to Michelle, it's happened one time in our marriage where I said something I shouldn't have. <laughs> Thank you. The one time, otherwise I'd have been had to brought up in front of the church and be like, "Hey Mitch, why'd you speak harshly to her?" And one time, well, I'm pretty sure Jamie sinned the other night at the baseball game. I saw him, so I Jamie, come up here. We need to talk about it. Like otherwise, where's it end? Right? It ends because it's such a high bar for the pastor, right? That's the level that we're talking. So in addition to having healthy relationships, respectful relationships with your peer, can you have a healthy leadership relationship? Can you have a healthy leadership relationship? Notice in this last verse, I'm sorry, I'm a few minutes, uh, moments late here. Proverbs 29, verse 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. We see that in Esther in the story of Esther where there's confusion in the city because they don't understand what's going on with the leadership and, and I'll be honest, I you know I try to keep a very short account with you all. I try to be extremely transparent. There's times I fail. God knows there's times I fail as a leader, but I I will, I will commit to you. I will not fail in the matter of transparency. I will not fail in the matter of, of uh, honesty before you. That's the only way. This humility with grace is the only way we can have a healthy relationship in ministry. Sorry I'm late. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you.